Last time, we looked at this very strange story of Judah and Tamar, and we saw that it was an important story. It tells us some important things, but it doesn't answer the basic question, does the story of Tamar belong right here? Welcome to the Bible Journeys podcast. Your traveling companion is Ed Dickerson, an author, teacher, and scholar. He holds a master's degree in religious education from Andrews University. As you explore together, you will learn tools and techniques that illuminate scripture, renew your faith, and brighten your journey. The esteemed scholar E.A. Spicer answers that question with a resounding no, describing this story of Judah and Tamar as a completely independent unit, which seems to have no connection with the drama of Joseph, which it interrupts at the conclusion of Act One. Now, most stories have a three-act structure, and we see the same thing here in the story of Joseph. In Act One, we have the setup, and for the Joseph story, that occurs in Genesis 37, and it comes in this form. We see that Joseph is favored by his father, but unsurprisingly, he is resented by his brothers. To complicate matters, the young Joseph has dreams which it appears that he is the superior to all the rest of the family, and they all bow down to him. All of this comes to a head when his brothers take their revenge by selling Joseph into slavery. Act 2 takes up the bulk of the story, as is usual in three-act stories. In Act 2, Joseph was sold to Potiphar uh, in Egypt. He prospers and his master places him in authority over the entire household. However, after rejecting the advances of Potiphar's wife, Joseph was falsely accused of assaulting her, and he goes to prison. While in prison, he follows the same path. The warden of the prison comes to trust him and puts him in charge of other things, and he has good relationships with his other prisoners, and he begins to interpret the dreams of his fellow prisoners. Eventually, Pharaoh himself has an important dream which needs interpretation, and when God gives Joseph the interpretation to Pharaoh's dream, the monarch places Joseph in charge of the entire kingdom. Now, we might think this is the conclusion of the story, but it's not. Finally, in Act 3, we have the resolution. Driven by famine, Joseph's brothers go to Egypt to purchase grain, where they meet but do not recognize Joseph. The story culminates in the reunion of the brothers and the father, repentance on their part for the wrong that they have done, reconciliation within the family, and then the redemption of Israel by bringing them to Egypt where they prosper. But what about Spicer's criticism? He says that Judah and Tamar's story interrupts the Joseph story at the end of Act 1. And when we look at Genesis, that appears to be exactly what happens. In fact, it kind of looks like the author just sort of jams Judah and Tamar into the flow of that, that story, which takes place in 38. That's Judah and Tamar. So you have chapter 37, which is Act 1, and then you have chapter 39 through 41, which is Act 2, but ja Judah and Tamar gets jammed in between those two. And you have to wonder, is Spicer's criticism valid? Is he right? It just doesn't belong here. Perhaps if we read the Bible, read this story as it was meant to be read, maybe we can see something that even Spicer and other scholars 
have missed. So chapter 37 has Joseph in selling Joseph into slavery. Chapter 38 follows, and it has Judah and Tamar. And chapter 39 follows, and Joseph becomes Potiphar's chief steward, and he ends up going to prison. Is, is Maybe this is one of the things where we have the theory that many people wrote in the, the early books of Moses, and they put things in way after the fact and so forth. And so you have different things being just sort of stuffed into various corners. Or did the author of the whole story of Joseph have a purpose? Is this an, was there one author and was he intentional in placing this story right here? And I think that the second is the correct answer. And here's why. Let's go, let's read the story as it was meant to be read. Now we read through the details last time. We're not going to repeat all of that. That doesn't make any sense. But what we are going to do is look at how the story has been structured. We're going to take a good look at the structure of all three of these particular chapters, because that's the question. Does 38 belong between 37 and 39, or should it have been put somewhere else entirely? And the interesting thing is that when we read this story, as it was meant to be read, we get the very first line of chapter 38, which goes like this. Judah left his brothers. Well, why in the world tell us that? I mean, authors spend a great deal of time on the first line in, in their story. I can tell you that as, a, as an author myself. And you find this over and over again, uh, that the most important Lines are the first ones. They want to grab your attention, or they want to tell you something very important. They want to set the scene, set the tone. And so this seems like a very odd thing, whether it's the Bible or anywhere else, to start with this particular fact. But we forget that in chapter 37, if you recall, Joseph was sold into slavery. So Joseph had been away from the uh, other 11, and then he uh, walks into their camp, and they decide that uh, eventually, they have, first they want to kill him, but then they decide they can make some money on the deal, and they can sell him into slavery. And so by doing so, they send him away. Joseph is now going to be no longer in the uh, company of his brothers. And then we come to this, and Judah has left his brothers. Of course, he wasn't going to take the other ten with him, go to courting, because that's what he's going to do. He's going to go looking for a wife. We, we know that. We read the story. So why is this mentioned? Because the author, I believe, and see if how this works for you, he wants us to connect this with the fact that Joseph was sold into slavery. We're going to look at the behavior of Joseph and Judah both after they are no longer in the company of the other brothers. Joseph is going to go to Egypt where his brother's not going to be. Judah is going to be involved in this whole thing with Tamar and his friend, the Adalamite, and so forth. But his brothers will not be, Judah's brothers will not be present anywhere in chapter 38. It's just Judah and his 
reaction to a, situ a situation, a difficult situation. And we're going to find the same thing in chapter 39 is Joseph and his reaction to a difficult situation. So let's look at, let's see what this goes. So the next thing we have is that Judah refuses to fulfill his duties to Tamar. Don't forget, he had three sons, and he gave her Ur, who we just told the Lord that he, he did evil inside of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. And then we're also, uh, he's given, uh, he gives Onan to Tamar's husband because she, in those, in the custom in that day was that if the uh, husband died without a, an heir, then the brother would take his place and he would give the mother and give the wife an heir. The whole idea, because it was a brutal society and women, you know, whether we like it or not, whether we think it was egalitarian or not, women were vulnerable, very vulnerable in that society, not only because they lacked the physical strength of men, but because during uh, pregnancy and uh, nursing and so forth and nurturing the child, they were extremely vulnerable. And so a woman needed a man to protect her and to take care of her, to provide for her needs as she's, as the woman had to provide uh, the care and, and the nutrition for her uh, baby, then the, the father was supposed to provide for her. And so that's what this is all about, that she will have a son and that that son will be able, he'll be her social security program. He'll be her pension when she's old. He will take care of her. But Onan doesn't do this, and he does it in a particularly um, bad way. And after he's lost two sons, that would be Onan is struck by dead by God as well. So after that, uh, in verse 11 of 38, Judah said to his daughter, daughter-in-law Tamar, remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, I'm afraid that he too may die like his brothers. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. So what we have here is Judah is not going to risk his legacy, his only remaining son, uh, on this woman who he thinks is, uh, we would say, probably bad luck or and on an evil omen, or she's cursed, or something like that. Of course, they would definitely think she was cursed because she was not having children, but uh, it was through no fault of her own. In any case, uh, he he he's, he's says, wait until he grows up, but as we'll see, he has no intention of doing that because as the verse tells us, I'm afraid that he may he too may die like his brothers. So, very clear. Uh, Judah refuses to fulfill his duties to Tamar. Meanwhile, in chapter 39, and I know I say meanwhile, but this is a later in chrono chronological order, but the story wants us to see these behaviors in parallel. And as we go through this, I think you'll agree with me. Judah refuses to fulfill his duties to Tamar. Well, but Joseph goes, he's bought by Potiphar, and Potiphar puts him in control of everything in his household because he prospers. So the first one was Judah left his brothers, and Joseph had been forced to leave his brothers. That was a link backward. This one is a link forward. Judah refuses to fill his duties to Tamar, and Joseph is faithful in his duties to Potiphar. So 
this story in 38 is already linked to both the chapter before it and the chapter after it, because Judah is being compared to Joseph. And for what reason, we may have to take even another, another podcast for that. So a long time passes, we're told, and Judah's wife dies. That is a long time. And the period of grief comes and, and goes. We're told the period of grief is over, and he's going to go shear his sheep, which is a time of celebration and all that. We saw that last time. And uh, he sees, as he's going on the way to shearing the sheep, he sees a prostitute, and he decides he wants to celebrate. So he seeks sex outside of marriage. That's what Judah does. Well, interestingly enough, again, in chapter 39, Potiphar's wife offers Joseph sex outside of marriage. So again, we have a parallel here between the two. They're being compared. Judah seeks sex outside of marriage. Potiphar's wife offers Joseph sex outside of marriage. And by the way, there is a great consequence to Joseph for refusing. It isn't just uh, that he is being pure. It isn't just that. That isn't the only temptation. She's th she threatens him. And in fact, she will accuse him of trying to rape her. So there we have this terrible thing happening. But it is, again, a, so there's another link to the next chapter. So Judah seeking sex outside of marriage is linked to Potiphar's wife offering sex outside of marriage to Joseph. That's a link forward. We have so far one link backwards, the leaving of the brothers, and two links forwards. The refusal to fill his duties, the and whereas Joseph is faithful to his duties, Judah seeks sex, and Potiphar's wife offers sex, both outside of marriage. So the next significant point, Judah offers a goat because he doesn't have any money. We talked about that last time. And he offers, he says, I'll give you a goat kid, but it's before the kids have been born. It's too early in the season. That's the sh a, uh, shearing comes before that. And so uh, she says, well, what will you give me in pledge? You know, she's not, she's no dummy. And of course, if she was just a prostitute, it happens to, as we know, to be, be Tamar who's disguised. Uh, but a, a prostitute wouldn't uh, wouldn't say, oh, sure, go ahead, and I'll, I'll take your promise. She has to have something to be sure he'll pay up after he uh, gets what he wants. And so he, she, he gives her, she asks for, and she gives, he gives her identifying possessions, his staff and his signet ring. And, of course, his signet ring, that's how he seals contracts and things. It's like his driver's license and credit card, you know, all of these things rolled into one. This is, this is his identity. And so he offers her a goat, but then he gives her identifying possessions instead. Now you say, well, that's not linked to anything. Well, unless you pay attention to the details. And remember, it's very interesting. Remember that when we read the Bible as it's meant to be read, we give credit to the author. He includes things because they matter. And if they're not there, uh, they don't matter. Or the uh, omission may be telling us something. But in this case, 
we the in the previous uh, chapter where Joseph was sold into slavery, they took his coat, his identifying possession. Uh, it's often called the coat of many colors, and they dipped it. Are you ready for this? In a goat's blood. And that is presented to Jacob, who identifies it and says, yes, this is my, my son is dead. They don't tell him. Judah offers a goat, and he gives identifying possessions instead. So there's, a goat is involved in both cases. And an identifying possession is involved in most cases. So this is really important. As we mentioned last time, you know, it's so difficult, it, even today, with DNA, we can finally uh, determine paternity with some certainty, but yeah, it may have to get a court order to do that. In, in uh, days past, in, in my lifetime, it wasn't that simple. It wasn't, there was no way to be certain. Before DNA testing, you said, you know, well, it's the same blood type. Well, okay. But... That was all you could do. You couldn't say for certain. Here, they had no way. But so to establish paternity, she needs that identifying thing. But it's in both cases, it's very interesting. So there's a link backwards. So, so far, we have two links backwards to chapter 37, the fact that each of them left the brothers, and the, uh, the identifying possession in the goat, the involvement of the goat. There are two links forward. Judah, Judah doesn't fulfill his duties to Tamar. Joseph does fulfill his duties to Potiphar. Judah seeks sex outside of marriage, and Potiphar's wife offers sex outside. So we have two links from chapter 38, the Judah and Tamar story, two links each direction to the story before and, and to, this, or to the episode before and the episode after. So it isn't just, you know, interesting. Oh, by the way, as it turns out, this one is linked both ways, because the, the last time that she says she was after him day by day, she kept after him to do what she wants. He, she, Potiphar's wife wants to have sex with Dad, Joseph. And the, one day, finally, he, he, she confronts him, and he just runs away. But he, you know, she's grabbed onto his outer cloak, and she has that in her possession. It's his identifying garment. And so this incident of the identifying possession in chapter 38 links both forward and backward. It links all three chapters together. So we see here this a rather intricate design here. And I think that you'll agree as we go forward now, it looks very likely that not only does the story of Judah and Tamar belong here, the author intends it to be here for a very per good purpose in his narrative, in his story, because yes, he is telling the story of Joseph and how Joseph went away, but he's also telling the story of Judah. Now, don't misunderstand me. This chapter is Tamar's chapter. She's the heroine. She does what is right. But what we see, Judah persuaded the brothers to sell Joseph. Now, Judah is the one who is going to do really rather badly by Tamar. Uh, and uh, later on, the Judah will, his character will develop even further in the positive direction. Because Judah is going to be involved in significant episodes in the Joseph story. The one is that he's the one who offers to stay 
instead of uh, Benjamin. So he, his character develops quite a bit, and that's part of what's going on here, is that we're not just seeing the story of Joseph from the author's perspective. We're seeing the story of the children of Israel. The, the Joseph is, is uh, the Savior in this sense, the Messiah, who delivers them. But Judah is going to be eventually the royal tribe. And because Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, his three older brothers, have disqualified themselves, Judah is essentially going to be the leader of the brothers that remain. So Tamar, who is falsely accused of, uh, is falsely accused of adultery, and she is condemned to death. Well, as it turns out, Joseph is falsely accused, and he is condemned to go to prison. So now we have a third link. Of, well, there's been four links forward because the last one was linked both directions. Now we have four links forward and two links backward to chapter 37. And so you can see this, this is intricately woven uh, because these, again, there's connections both directions, sometimes in the same, the same episode or the same detail, the detail of the garment tree, the identifying possession. All right, so but finally, Judah identifies the seal and accepts paternity. He says, she says to him, sends him to him and says, yeah, can you recognize these? And he said, oh, yeah. He, he condemned her to death. He said, bring her out and burn her. So, all right. Judah identifies the seal and accepts paternity. It's so crucial, isn't it? It's so difficult to prove paternity even today. And he, she managed to do that, because, and it saved her life and the life of her child. As it turns out, there's the life of her children. She was carrying twin sons. All right, and what we had was that Jacob had identified the coat of many colors and declared Joseph dead. So again, we have a parallel that reaches back. So of all these connections, we had one each way. Well, we had, we had two backwards, um, three forward, and one that was, oh, yeah, I would say, one was solely backwards, two are forward to chapter 39. And one is a, is a connection to both way. Well, it turns out so is this last one. Because Potiphar's wife shows the garment. And Joseph is sent to prison on the basis of that evidence. So this uh, identifying garment, identifying possession, plays a part in all three chapters. So we have to ask the question, does it work? Does this belong here? And it seems to me that the intricate weaving, now we have one, two, three, four, we have five connections between events in chapter 38 and chapter 39. We have three connections, clear connections. There may be more, but I've outlined three connections from chapter 38 back to chapter 37. And two of the connections go both ways. 
They link all three chapters together. And if you see this, then you understand that if you don't have the story of Judah and Tamar in the middle here, in this part, you don't you, you can't understand this progression that's going on. You can't understand the story fully at all because Joseph is a paragon. He is doing all the right things. And Judah says she was more righteous than I, and it was a very, very low bar for him to get over. But he was absolutely right. She was more righteous than he was. And so, again, we're going to see this because the story of Joseph will end, Act 3 will end with when he brings his family all to Egypt. That doesn't end the story of Israel, because then you have the... Uh, they are put up in, in Goshen, and they become shepherds and so forth. Uh, and you end up with the death of Joseph, where he uh, wants his bones to be taken back. He says, someday you will go back, and when you go back, please take my bones. So the story of Joseph and his brothers will end about chapter 42. I'm sorry, about chapter 46. Um, and so, but this is the development of all the brothers. We see the growth in Judah. We see the growth in the brothers as there is, as they are, they are repentant, uh, when they recognize who Joseph is, there is, uh, there's this whole growth as we see the reconciliation. And that's the whole, that's the, the, the point of this story. And to make this story uh, make sense to the ancient reader and to us to some degree, you need two protagonists. You need Judah and you need Joseph. They both have to lead the way in reconciliation. Jacob does that because he said, you know, God meant this for good. Judah does that because he's gone from the one who would sell his brother at first, he was willing to kill him, and then he, the one who would sell his brother. And he's moved here where at least, you know, it's, he's not a good guy in chapter 38 with Tamar. But he does at least accept his responsibility. And we see that as growth for him. And eventually, uh, he will, rather than let his father suffer the loss of Benjamin, he offers to stay in prison. And that's quite a thing. And that's, if you'll notice, that is also a parallel to Joseph. Joseph was in prison. Judah offers to go to prison. But those are parallels. And that's more of the story than we're going to go into right now. Because right now we're looking at the story of Tamar. And as we mentioned last time, it's important not to forget that Shelah is never heard of again. And that Judah's posterity, his legacy, comes through the son of Tamar. Well, I hope this has been useful, and uh, we look forward to more chances of reading the Bible as it was meant to be read. If you've gained something from this discussion, please be sure to share it with someone because those who join our Bible journeys here can become our traveling companions for eternity.